Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Today's episode of Working is brought to you by Hiscox Small Business Insurance. Get customized insurance for your business right now. Go to Hiscox.com to learn more and to get a free quote. Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Rachel Gross, a writer for Slate who covers science and food. For today's episode, we're talking with someone who brings people a heightened state of consciousness in liquid form. What's your name and what do you do? Joel Finkelstein. I'm a coffee roaster at Qualia Coffee in Petworth, D.C. What is the first thing you do when you come in the door at work? Well, usually uh, usually I pet Stewie and give him some food. But the first thing I'll do is start the roaster. The roaster takes about 25 minutes to warm up. So the first thing we do when we walk in the door is uh, vacuum it out and then uh, start it up and get that going. Um, Then we'll check this inventory, make a list of things I need to roast that day, uh, and then make a list of things that need to get stocked on the shelf. And then, of course, after that, the first thing I do is make a cup of coffee. So uh, nothing happens without coffee here, right? So uh, I'll pick a cup of coffee to to brew up. and maybe grab some food uh, to, to get me through the morning. And then it's just a matter of uh, roasting and bagging and continuing to check inventory, uh, making sure that there's the inventory that we have in terms of green coffee. We constantly have coffee coming in every week or two to replenish the, what we've roasted the week before. We roast probably 1,500 pounds a, a month of coffee, so uh, that's about 10 bags so we have to constantly bring more coffee in. Um, and a big part of that, honestly, is talking to our vendors, getting samples, which we roast as well, and 
then trying those samples out and figuring out what we want to order. So back to your morning. So you pet Stewie, you've made your cup of coffee, yeah. you're starting to roast. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what goes into that? Um, are customers coming by a lot? You mentioned there's a big education component. To right. It. Yeah. I mean, so part of our philosophy is to make people more informed about where their coffee comes from. And so process is very important and the roastery is completely open. Uh, a lot of people will like kind of peek their heads back and say, can we come back here? And we're like, yeah, just come on back. It's open. Or they'll be heading on their way to the patio and they'll want it. They'll say, what's going on here? So uh, we're always, we're constantly answering questions about the roasting process. How long does it take? Um, you know, how much are you roasting? Uh, you know, that's what green coffee looks like. Um, so we're, we're always answering those questions and it's, it's really, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty revealing about, um, the coffee industry up until now in terms of people's knowledge or lack thereof of where coffee comes from. And so we have a lot of opportunity, uh, to, to educate people. Um, over the years we've learned how to, to, to better educate people, um, while avoiding lecturing people, which is really important. It's really easy. It's the coffee. I think the coffee industry has gotten really good at lecturing people. Um, and hopefully over time, we're getting better at educating people. Interesting. Um, so so how long does the, the roasting process take and about how much do you make in one day? Uh, <clears throat> so the roasting process itself takes uh, generally 17 or 18 minutes, uh, another um, four or five minutes to cool it down. Uh, to bring it back to room temperature. So we budget about two roasts an hour, which means we can roast up to 12 or 13 pounds an hour. Uh, and we'll probably do, we do at least six a roast a day. We never do less than uh, six roasts, and we'll, we can do up to 14, 18 roasts a day. So just depending on uh, what we're preparing for. Uh, so we roast, yeah, we roast probably, and so a, a batch of coffee is comes out as uh, around six pounds, generally. Uh, so that's eight bags for us. Um, so we're producing about 16 bags an hour. Uh, and we, so we're doing that, uh, yeah, we're doing that for about four or five hours a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after that, it's already afternoon. Um, what does yeah. the rest of your day look like? Uh, <clears throat> keeping, well, get my next cup of coffee at that point. <laughs> um, some, a lot of afternoons we're cupping. So we're, we're actually uh, going through the process of assessing the coffees that either we're, we want to buy or coffees that we have on the shelf and we need to see if the roasting is, is going well. And then I will often respond to emails. We get a lot of requests uh, either to do events or uh, for restaurants or whatever it is. Uh, we get lots of different kind of varied requests as a small business. Uh, and so I'm doing a lot of emails like everybody else, ordering things, uh, cups or whatever, uh, and, um, paperwork and all the good things that go along with running a small business. Uh, but generally we're, we're, you know, we're training staff. Uh, we do a lot of staff trainings. We, um, once a month we, we actually organize, have a staff training that usually ends up being a pizza and beer party, but, um, we'll do that. Uh, so we're, but we're also bringing new staff and training them on the particular coffees that we have right, right then or on espresso techniques. Tomorrow I'm going up to New York to meet with farmers. I've actually met with farmers this week already. What do you meet with them for? Like, is it to... It's, I mean, for us, that's where we get our education. So that's where we learn more about what they're doing. There's so much going on in the flavor of coffee. 
and we only have a limited amount of control over that. So we can, can control the roasting process, we can control the brewing process, but without careful work in the growing and harvesting and processing of the coffee, that's that leaves very little room for us to do anything if that's not done properly. So um, meeting with farmers is a great way of learning more about the agricultural process, more about what they face in growing coffee and preparing it for us, um, as well as an opportunity to give them insight into what our experience is um, and how they might change their process to appeal to us better. Right. And you care about each step in the process and you're very invested in um, mm -hmm. the origins of coffee. Can you explain why it's important for you to have single origin coffee to people that would not know what that meant? Sure. It's not, it's not the right or wrong way of doing things. It's just for me, coffees are very much like wine or um, actually I drink a, I like a single barrel whiskey or something like that, where that what makes it interesting isn't necessarily that that taste appeals to my palate, although it usually, it generally does. But the variety, the variety of flavors. So uh, the idea of like drinking the same coffee every day, um, it would drive me crazy. Like I drink probably three or four different types of coffee a day. Uh, and if they all tasted the same, it wouldn't be very interesting. So the, or the, the consequences of origin and genetics uh, and processing has a big impact on what I taste in the cup. There's a lot of different variables involved, more than you can really manage to control all of those. But at the end of the day, it's the experience. Um, I was thinking when you were saying like it would be boring to drink four of the same cups of coffee a day. Um, yet there's this culture where it's like, wake up, need my caffeine fix. Right. Just like need to get it in me like through an IV anyway, like stand in line at Starbucks. Do you think most of your customers do appreciate that nuance and complexity? I think most of our customers can appreciate that nuance. One of the premises I started with with this business is that everyone can appreciate good coffee. All I can do is put it out there for people to appreciate. You know, we open the door um, and then it's just up to them to walk through. But yeah, you can't, you can't force it on them. Is there a danger that they can't go back and you're turning people into coffee snobs? Well, hopefully. Yeah, that's hopefully what we're doing. I mean, but I think the reality is that there's a lot of really bad coffee out there. And the reason that there's a bad coffee out there is because people don't know what good coffee is. And so if they think this is what coffee is and they've been drinking it their whole lives then they're never going to demand better, right? But, and, and, that, and a lot of places take advantage of that fact. They just produce a very low level, low quality, level of quality, um, and they can get away with it because people don't say, this is not worth my money. Um, from the consumer side, what if I'm happy in my ignorance that the dirty water that Starbucks serves me and calls, me, uh, calls an espresso is good enough? Uh, why would I want to change that? That's fine. I mean, I have no problem. If you like Starbucks coffee, if you like dark roasted coffee, that's great. You know, that's, that works for you. Um, but if you're close to the experience, if you don't try something different, uh, then, then, you know, you're not really, you don't have an informed understanding of what you're drinking. And that's unfortunate. I mean, Starbucks isn't horrible in terms of the coffee that they're accessing. I mean, if you go to a lot of other places that have the 99 cent cup of coffee, you're very likely accessing coffee that harms the farmers. And so I do have a problem with that from a social perspective. Given the amount of work that goes into producing coffee, 99 cents just doesn't cover it. Right. 
Um, so definitely let's talk about the coffee world. Um, yeah. But first, one more question just of your day. Um, what's the last thing you do um, in your day here? <laughs> um, well, it goes back to feeding Stewie, usually <laughs> before I leave. Um, but yeah, you, you know, the funny thing is, uh, I very rarely, um, have, I don't take bags of coffee home, right? So I'm surrounded by coffee all the time. I have very little coffee in my house. So usually one of the last things I do is make sure that I have enough coffee to make a pot of coffee in the morning before I leave for work. So, uh, priorities. Yeah. (laughs) That's important. Yeah. Um, cool. So you were talking about the coffee world, which you clearly know a lot about. Can we talk about how you got into this? Um, you were a healthcare journalist. Yeah. Was there some moment when you decided you were really interested in coffee? Yeah. I mean, I was one of those caffeine delivery coffee drinkers, right? So I drank coffee in the morning cause I needed to wake up and there was a per- certain point where I actually got to experience fresh coffee. And I think in retrospect, that coffee wasn't the best roasted. It wasn't, it wasn't a great roast. But the difference because that coffee had been recently roasted was huge. It was just eye-opening that coffee could actually taste good. You know, It didn't have to be something that you like added milk and sugar to to make it palatable. It wasn't a complex coffee. It was just, it was just enjoyable the way it was. And, um, and when I started reading more about it and learning about how complex it is, how many different flavor compounds are potentially in there. Uh, This is, you know, 10 years ago when, honestly, D.C. was kind of a coffee wasteland. There was one good coffee shop in D.C., which is no longer here, and there's just nowhere else to go. So while I availed myself of that one coffee shop, it didn't give you a lot of variety. So uh, that led me to start roasting at home. So when you're going out and deciding that you want to try home roasting. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get a sense of the flavors that you did like and the methods you like and how figuring out how to home roast? There's a lot of burning of coffee in the, in the, in the process. Usually what I recommend to people who are starting out is, is to burn it. Because like, without seeing the whole process through, it's really hard to say where you want to stop the roasting process. So yeah, a lot of it is actually burning coffee to begin with, just so you can see you know, the whole process through and then decide where in that, um, in that process you want to stop roasting. So um, a lot of trial and error. Yeah. A lot of trial and error. I mean, you're with an air roaster, you're probably roasting like maybe half a cup's worth of coffee. I mean, not a lot of coffee. So even if you wanted to roast a week's worth of coffee, you'd probably be doing half a dozen roasts. So, uh, there's, a, I mean, that's what we do here too. Honestly, the, the benefit of doing small batches is you get a lot of iteration. You get a lot of experience roasting because you're roasting everything in small batches. If I was roasting four times as much coffee, we could have far less experience with the right. roasting process. And I love the analogies you use for people who don't understand or know about the roasting process. Mm-hmm. The idea that um, it can be made kind of like popcorn and there's this first crack when the bean opens up. Right. And if you're doing a dark roast, you're kind of searing it like a steak. And kind of flattening the flavors, would that be correct? Yeah, I mean, what you're doing is, so those oils are moving out of the surface, and at some point you're actually carbonizing the sugars. So um, what you're getting is carbon. You're getting a carbon note from the roasting process, uh, which re- which is really, it's pretty distinctive, and it's pretty bold. It's pretty um, pronounced. So it does tend to overwhelm a lot of the coffee's nat- natural flavors. So even if you are able to do a dark roast where you're preserving the natural flavors, when you roast it darker, you expand it more 
so the CO2 off gases much faster, and that protection leaves the coffee much earlier. So you're clearly very into kind of the technical and the science side of coffee. Yeah. Were you always into that aspect when you started home roasting? I do come from a background. So even though I used to cover healthcare policy, I actually started out on the science side. So I did a lot of um, medical research coverage, and I studied physics and mathematics in college. So I have a pension for the technical aspects of it. Um, I think my feeling has always been that the technical and the more aesthetic qualities, you need to find a balance between those two things. Because um, while we do a lot of data collection in the roasting process, we're still doing all the roasting by hand. And I think you know the, the data, the information, the, the statistics are all great, but they need to be put in the context of human experience. And you have a very clear vision for the kind of coffee experience you want to bring with Qualia. Um, when in your home roasting process did you realize you wanted to do something bigger with that? Once I, once I get a better understanding of what coffee, the potential coffee had, uh, I started looking around uh, to access that. And not really finding a good source or sources for it, started roasting at home. So at some point after I was doing that for a while, I realized, hey, maybe other people are looking for this. So uh, I actually built a home roaster at that point, which was um, basically a barbecue grill. They often have like a rotisserie attachment, and you would put a drum in that rotisserie attachment. So you could turn it, turn it like you would with a drum roaster downstairs uh, and, and, and roast the coffee that way. So that was my first commercial roaster. I started taking coffee to the markets around D.C., so what did you learn by um, taste testing it at farmer's market? Yeah, so so that was a great, that was a really formative experience for me because without having an understanding... Sorry. I think it's my accountants. They really want to talk to me. So there was two parts of it that were really informative for me. Uh, first of all, the roaster that I built, I was constantly improving on it. I was learning about the roasting process by improving the roaster, right? So... If I uh, added a bigger motor so that the drum turned faster, that would change the roasting process. The second thing I realized um, was I considered myself a roaster, so I'd go to these markets and I would try to sell coffee beans. And, you know, at least half of the customers would be like, well, can I get a cup of coffee, right? So what I quickly realized was if I just wanted to sell beans, um, I would have a very limited market. But if I wanted to sell brewed coffee that that would really open up the field to me to maintain the kind of the scale I wanted to maintain uh, and yet still hit a much wider mark in terms of like we're talking about, um, you know, people's experience with the coffee and people who have never had good coffee before. If I could not only sell them the beans, but I could brew them a cup of coffee that, that that was a new experience for them, then it was a much higher value. So the farmer's markets really is where I figured I want to open up a coffee shop I don't want to just open up a roasting operation. What would be the benefit of opening an actual storefront? Part of it is economics. If I sell a pound of coffee on my shelf, I sell it for about $16, $17. If I sell uh, a pound of coffee as brewed coffee, at 2 bucks a pop, it's more like $50. You know, in any food business, the more you process something, the higher the profit margin is. And if I was... A wholesaler, if I was just selling beans, 
um, it's very much a, vo a, a volume business. I'm selling, I have to sell a lot more coffee um, to make a profit doing it. By selling both the brewed coffee and the beans um, side by side, I can maintain a lower profit margin, but I can also sell less coffee uh, and and maintain the freshness that I thought was really key to roasting the way I wanted to roast. What were the first steps that it took to start opening a storefront? <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Well, finding the space, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, the space is kind of perfect for us, honestly. Tell me about the space. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I live in Petworth. So not having to commute was a big part of it. Um, and when I was going downtown to work, uh, I, I would take the bus past this building all the time. Can you describe the space a little further? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an old row house, right? There's a, a fireplace. There's a wood, you know, original wood pine floors, uh, which are, are pretty eaten up at this point. Um, so it, it, it's definitely got that warm, homey, kind of cozy aspect to it. Um, but, and it's probably 18 feet wide, which means it makes it very cozy. So, um, yeah, it's just a, you know, a nice little old row house with uh, all the the wood accents and, uh, and metal radiators and, uh, and, uh, lots of wood and marble. So yeah, finding the place was probably first. How about yeah. actually getting it, um, and maintenance? What other challenges? Well, so that's, that's one of those things where like, I don't, I'm not a big believer in fate, but right around the time I started this whole process of, of thinking about opening a coffee shop, um, big old rent sign went up in front. So the, uh, the owner of the building, um, just an individual who, uh, you know, honestly, if it had been a, a different situation, a lot of people wouldn't have rented to me, um, not having business experience or, or a big bankroll to, to finance this project. Um, I got kind of lucky. It was someone who, went, you know, had been vacant for a while, wanted to rent it, and uh, I was willing to take my personal guarantee. So, yeah, it was just kind of like really good timing. And it's just a nice space. We have these, you know, French doors we open in the summer. Just lets all the air in, which is good because the air conditioner doesn't work very well, and uh, and um, has you know then we have the space in back where we can do the roasting and and right now we have a pretty nice patio too. Is there anything that people often misunderstand about running a coffee shop? Well, that by building that community you're going to make money. As much as we love our regular customers, they're our least valuable customers. Right. So I and I have people come in every day and they buy a cup of coffee or they buy a bagel. Right. Uh, and that's great because, you know, over time, that's they're spending a lot of money here. But we have to balance that out with people who come in and buy a bag of coffee, a latte and, and walk out the door. So a lot of times people come in and buy a small cup of coffee and spend three or four hours. And um, yeah, it's that really hard because I do that. It's hard to sustain. It's hard for us to sustain. And it really is a. A balancing act in, in terms of providing that that sort of space for people to do their work and um, at a low cost, but also having to pay our rent. Yeah, of course. And I was going to ask about that tension that seems to be. I mean, I part. did it. I did it when I was a journalist, you know, because I, I freelanced for the last three years of my job, and and I would constantly go to coffee shops, buy a cup of coffee, and and work for three hours. So. Oh yeah, and a lot of people in this neighborhood probably do. Yeah. You know, we have been open every day for the past three years. We're open 365 days a year. We roast 364 days a year. So, I did not know that. Yeah. So 
I mean, people are pretty surprised when they find out we're open on Christmas Day, but we're kind of the staple of the community. You know, that, that is what community is about, is the fact that people are always there for you. And I want quality to be part of that in terms of really being something people can rely on. Like, they, they know they can walk out the door in the, day, in, the, in the morning, go to quality and get a cup of coffee. Like, that's reassuring. I like that. That is reassuring. It's something that helps me get up in the morning. Um, is there like a favorite part of what you do here or something that's most rewarding? I mean, I don't think there's one thing. There's a lot of different aspects of it. Um, I really enjoy roasting, actually. Even after all these years, I still really enjoy roasting. It, there's a, a certain um, zen-like <laughs> aspect to it. Um, just focusing on one thing for 20 or 25 minutes, it's actually something you don't really get to do that much in this world. And um, I always just like enjoy sitting down with a cup of coffee. I mean, coffee could just calm. I know it sort of sounds uh, counterintuitive, but coffee really calms me down. <laughs> when I'm really agitated and frustrated with a day, I'll just make myself a cup of coffee, sit down, and that you know always quells my spirit. You know, it's funny because I just I get so excited about new coffees. I I mean, sometimes I feel like a kid in a candy store, just like. When new coffee's coming, it always just, I just have such anticipation for it. Still nerd out over yeah. it. That's always a good sign. Yeah. So, um, cool. I mean, it is like, again, it goes back to that experience. And for me, that, you know, the enjoyment that comes from a cup of coffee is immense. And I want to share that with other people. I'm talking with Joel Finkelstein, owner of Qualia Coffee in Washington, D.C. In a minute, we'll go behind the scenes of Joel's roasting process and get an education on the origins of coffee. But first, it takes courage to build a small business. Don't risk what you've worked so hard for. Protect your small business today with Hiscox. Hiscox offers a new way to buy small business insurance. They tailor their small business insurance coverage to fit your needs, allowing you to buy only what you need. Policies start from $22.50 per month. Plus, it's easy. You can order online or over the phone from a licensed advisor in minutes. Today we're speaking with Joel Finkelstein, owner of Qualia Coffee, a small local coffee shop in Washington, D.C. If you're opening a coffee shop or restaurant, Hiscox can keep you protected. Don't wait to purchase coverage for your small business. Visit Hiscox today to learn more about our services and to get a free quote. That's H-I-S-C-O-X dot com. So the roasting process itself is, it's kind of the heart of the, you know, the operation. Um, nothing, everything flows from the roasting, uh, but, and it's something we do every day, um, but it's sort of, it's also like in the back of the shop, right? So, so a lot of people come in, they get their bagels, they get their coffee, they've never seen the roasting operation because they just never wander to the back. And when they do, it's like, what the hell's going on here? You know, there's a... There's a whole little... Yeah, it's um, like a chem lab back here. Yeah, so... Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on here and what you're starting to do? Uh, well, so we just have kind of the readily accessible um, coffees here up, up by the roaster so we can have good flow during the day. Right now I'm just weighing out the coffee. <laughs> this is the green coffee, so we're just, just weigh out the, our, our batch um, before putting it in the, in the roaster. So now I'll put the uh, coffee in the hopper. Um, so the coffee goes in the hopper. Um, it, once the roaster is preheated to the right temperature, we'll just drop the. There's a door here. I'll drop the coffee into the roaster, and then it's we've started the roasting process. So should we do that? 
awesome. We have a lot of people come in and think, oh, wow, that machine looks like it's an antique or something. No, all these machines are handmade in machine shops by a bunch of machine guy, you know, guys who are just good at, like, you know, making metal stuff. So it's a, it looks like it was handmade. Um, but it's got pretty sophisticated electronics. So we ordered this one with full, full controls. Um, you can see these dials. Each of these dials controls a different aspect of the roasting process. Heat, the amount of gas pressure we're um, putting in and how much heat we're adding to the roast. The speed of the, as the drum is rotating, um, it goes about 50, 60 uh, RPM, um, but we can slow that down. And then the fan speed, the, um, the amount of um, airflow going through the, through the roaster, we can also control that. Um, a lot of that's used to cool the coffee down at the end of the process but we can make small adjustments to, the, to how much airflow is in the, during the roast. Um, but the roaster itself is a, is a spinning drum, much like a clothes dryer, and there's a gas flame that uh, is underneath that drum, heating the drum. Um, so the drum is constantly spinning, moving the coffee around. You've got thousands and thousands of coffee beans that you're roasting. You want to roast them all evenly at the, at the same rate, and so the best way to do that is to keep them rotating and keep them tumbling over each other. Um, the drum is being heated below by this gas flame, but it's also open in the back. It has holes in the back so that uh, as you're uh, adjusting your fan speed, air is being pulled over the flame and back through the drum, and then it's ejected through the top of the drum, and then it goes out, the, out that vent. Now everything is done manually. We're still controlling the roasting process manually, um, but we have a lot of control and we have a lot of data um, to help us, gu help guide us through that. It seems like it's very important for you to have control over many of these variables. Yeah, well, I mean, data. just like being in a, being a small business owner, control is really important, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, I, I figure you've talked to enough small pe business people, you know, that control, they're all control freaks. Like a lot of, um, of the more sophisticated operations, we use software that tracks the roasting process. Ours is pretty pimped out, so we have seven different... Um, thermocouples. The software also lets us um, look at previous roasts so we can make a comparison and um, decide whether we want to stick with that profile or change the profile a little bit. And is there an ideal flavor profile you're going for here? Not really. No, I mean we're, we're looking to bring out the natural flavors of the coffee which there are about 400 flavor compounds in coffee so we're going to get a little bit of a different experience every time. The other thing is as after the roasting process, the coffee continues to change. And we're experiencing these kind of like different, this changing palette, this sort of spectrum of flavors. The way I like to think about it is, if we have a flavor profile we're shooting for, um, a lot of it has to do with the balance of flavor. So each coffee has kind of its natural flavor. Do we want to bring out more of the chocolate? Do we want to bring out more cherry? Do we want to bring out more citrus? Those are, everything is going to be kind of in balance. Where are we in the process now? The beans look like they're a little bit of a different color. A yeah, darker. so now, so a, a lot of the beginning of the roast is kind of like the boring part of the roast. We're just warming up the beans. Now we're starting to get some chemical reactions. Um, we haven't quite gotten to that exothermic phase where the coffee expands. Uh, but what you do get is you get some Maillard browning. Um, you get some, um, you can actually smell. Um, one of the, we have a little trier here so we can smell the coffee during the roasting process. And it goes through several different phases of um, smells, sort of like a, a almost brown butter. There's like a bread phase. There's a cinnamon phase. 
Um, it actually smells a little to me like um, like popcorn. Yeah. So this is the period in the roasting process where I'm really going to drop the temperature. Um, the uh, the water as it escapes the coffee actually makes a noise. You can hear that. Can you hear this um, sort of popping noise? That we call it first crack. It's pretty, it's pretty critical to documenting the roasting process that, uh, that we, we checked this phase to help us understand if we're doing things well, if we're doing it right, you know. If it's, if it's too explosive, you've, you're actually damaging the beans, so. So it's a delicate balance. Yeah. And so far you've heated up the beans so the water has expanded and now they're having kind of their first break, like the first popcorn kernels that right, pop right. in a batch. Um, and you can see that they're fully brown now. Um, and, and when we pull out the trier, of course, you get a different, a different aroma this time. Smelling a little bit more like coffee. Um, and you can kind of see the surface of the coffee is also starting to uh, get a little smoother as the beans expand. That smells awesome. All right, so now we're going to actually, we're finished with the roasting process. You heard we went through that first crack, so the, the beans opened up. Um, and then we had it, gave it a, about three minutes for the oils inside the beans to mix together and form new flavors. I'm going to turn the air up, open the damper, and here comes the beans. Now we're just, we're, we're cooling down the, the beans themselves and we're cooling down the drum so we can do our next roast. And a lot of people find this kind of mesmerizing because the... the the little arms spinning through and, and moving the beans around um, that are now really fragrant. And, and um, it smells a little different than what most people are used to for coffee. It takes a couple of days, that couple of days of rest before it smells what most people recognize as coffee. But, it smells um, like comfort and consciousness <laughs> and heaven. Yeah. It's, it's a very, once you get used to it, it's a very pleasant smell. That was Joel Finkelstein coffee roaster and owner of Qualia Coffee in Washington, D.C. I'm Rachel Gross. Thank you for listening to Working. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. You can email us at working at slate.com, and you can listen to all five seasons at slate.com working. This episode was produced by Mickey Capper. Our executive producer is Steve Lichtai, and the chief content officer of the Panoply Network is Andy Bowers. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.